Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the emergency medicine residents and faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Core Concepts of Emergency Medicine. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning into this edition of EM Guidewire Core Concepts. Brought to you by the residents and faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, through the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studio. We're back for another hot episode here. You got the gruesome twosome here. I am Jeremy Driscoll. Sean Murray, New Year, say me. Glad to be back. Um, This week's episode is brought to you by Toothpaste. Brush in the morning to keep your friends. Brush in the evening to keep your teeth. Toothpaste. Nailed it. So this is one of my favorite clinical entities we're going to be talking about today, and this is Ludwig's Angina. Ludwig. Yes, very German. And so this was actually named after a physician way back in the 1800s, Carl Friedrich Wilhelm von Ludwig, not to be confused with Ludwig von Beethoven. Dun-dun-dun-dun! So he was the first one who described this fatal and rapidly progressive infection of the floor of the mouth. And, you know, when I hear angina, the first thing that comes to my mind is not an infection of the mouth. I think of, what, ACS? Yeah, chest, chest pain. pain. Yeah, exactly. So then I, I started looking, what, what does angina actually mean? Why do they call it this Ludwig's angina? So angina actually comes from a Latin term meaning strangling. So, oh, gross. So you think about the heart, it's like strangling, basically lack of oxygen to the heart. Well, this is actually, I would say, more of an infectious type of strangling where the floor of your mouth starts to elevate and can actually strangle you. So what it is is a bilateral infection of the submental, submandibular, and sublingual spaces. The majority of these cases are going to come from an odontogenic source, and most often it's a perigapical abscess of the mandibular molars. However, you can see this related to piercing specifically of the frenulum. And if we see this in children, which is a more uncommon population, it's usually due to URIs. So this infection is often polymicrobial, but the most common bug for this is strep viridans, but we also see staphylococcus as well as bacteroides species. And the most common patients this affects is usually males between 20 and 60 years old. However, it can affect anyone. Prior to adequate treatment and excellent resuscitative measures, mortality is now only 8%. But before this had mortality of greater than 50%. Do you know why that is, Sean? Because they get strangled. Exactly. But this magic drug invented back then called penicillin within today's antibiotic and surgical interventions is why the mortality has dropped to 8%. But what is the most common cause of death in Ludwig's? Do you know that? I would imagine it has to be the airway. Yes, airway compromise is the leading cause of death, even despite antibiotics. So who's at risk? Well, there's a lot of people that are at risk, and it's all the common players for, you know, infectious sources that kill people. It's your people who are immunosuppressed. This includes your patients with diabetes, people who drink a lot, people who do IV drugs, of course, your HIV and AIDS population. Beyond that, though, anybody who's got poor oral hygiene is at risk, smokers are more at risk, and those that are malnourished. So if you could picture me chopping your head sagittally, we're just looking right through the base, the floor of the mouth, and the tongue. Let's talk a little bit about anatomy and pathophysiology. Oh, my favorite. I know. So you got this muscle in there called your mylohyoid, and it divides the submandibular space into two regions. So you got the sublingual space above it, and then the submaxillary or submylohyloid space below that. Say that five times fast. Right? I barely could say it just one time fast. So infection extends posteriorly and superiorly, and that's what causes elevation of the tongue again 
against the hypopharynx. If this is left untreated, you can imagine this can continue and spread inferiorly to the retropharyngeal space and then actually into the superior mediastinum. Sounds bad. That does sound bad. All of this sounds bad, to be honest. So what are these patients going to look like when they come in? They look really sick. These patients are going to complain of dysphagia and odynophagia. They're going to have trismus, so they're not going to be able to open their mouth. That might be your first clue in. They usually have pretty prominent edema of the upper midline neck and the floor of the mouth. This causes the raised tongue that Dr. Driscoll was just talking about. The classic physical exam finding that they discuss is this woody induration. I don't know if I've ever felt that or if I'm going to know what that feels like, so just have a high index of suspicion if you see these other symptoms and exam findings. There's some other worrisome physical exam findings, and these tend to be things that are happening later, so you're going to have to move fast if you see this. If the patient is drooling, if their tongue is protruding from their mouth, that trismus that we talked about is a late finding. If they're having voice changes, dysphonia. If they're turning colors, like blue, cyanosis. If they have strider, or if they look systemically toxic. These are all things that are going to get you to rapidly resuscitate this patient anyway, but they should also clue you in that you might be dealing with Ludwig's angina. So how do I make this diagnosis? So this is one of the very excellent clinical diagnoses. This is really just a good history and physical exam to make this diagnosis. However, you can consider doing a CT of the head and neck. And this is really only necessary if the diagnosis is somewhat in question, where this patient looks okay, but you can't tell, is this a facial cellulitis or does this extend deeply? So that's when CT imaging can really be helpful. It can also help evaluate the extent of infection if clinical situation persists. Other ways to make this diagnosis is going to be your basic routine infectious workup lab, CBC, chemistry, lactate, and blood cultures. But I should let you know that imaging should not delay emergent airway management or transfer to the OR for definitive care. And if you are considering CT scan, try testing the patient out in the room by lying them flat. Because guess what? If they don't tolerate this in the room, they're not going to tolerate this in CT scanner. And the last thing you want to hear overhead is code blue CT scanner. That's right. That's the scariest thing that none of us want to hear. And it's actually a pretty good segue. So let's talk about how we treat and manage Ludwig's angina. The first thing is you need to evaluate the airway. These patients may require emergent endotracheal intubation to preserve their airway. You always have to have a surgical airway backup. This has potential to be a really difficult airway with all the edema and distorted anatomy. So Always make sure you have a double setup and you're ready to do a, a crike if necessary. This is one case where a blind insertion device like an LMA or an eye gel, something like that, is actually not recommended. The other part of emergent management of this condition is that you're going to have to get your surgical colleagues on board to help you manage this. This might be ENT or OMFS, whatever your facility protocols are, but this is going to need to be IND'd or they're going to have to pull the tooth. Whatever the source of the infection is, we need to get source control. Now, going back to blind insertion devices... So some of the reasons this actually is not recommended is, one, it's going to be pretty hard if they already have elevation of the tongue uh, to insert one. Not alone, if you're unsuccessful, this can cause actually worsening airway compromise, especially during multiple attempts. So we do not recommend this as a superglottic airway device in these cases specifically. This might be a case, actually, as you know, I'm always a proponent of this, but maybe a fiber optic intubation, maybe a nasotracheal intubation. Yeah, many of you don't know that Dr. Murray here is actually the nasotracheal intubation master. And how many, how many of those have you done in one week once? Uh, two and three days. That's pretty good. So if ever I'm in trouble, I might give my buddy Dr. Murray here a call for a little bit of a consult to put one of those in since he's got so much more experience than I do. But. Happy to help. All right. So let's say we've secured the airway or airway's not an imminent threat at this time. We need to talk about another key port of management in these patients, and that is antibiotics. When considering antibiotics for these patients, you really need to cover polymicrobial oral flora. So I divide this in, is the patient immunocompromised or are they immunocompromised? 
If they are immunocompetent, there's lots of options out there. You really can't go wrong with what you choose, but we recommend probably a third-generation cephalosporin like ceftriaxone and then consideration for anaerobic coverage like clindamycin or metronidazole. But you can also use ampicillin sulbactam or good old-fashioned penicillin G and metronidazole. Um, but if they are allergic to penicillin, clindamycin is probably going to be your go-to agent. Now, let's say we have a patient who is an IV drug abuser or has HIV AIDS. What else do I need to consider for coverage? So really, in these cases, it's going to be MRSA as well as gram-negative coverage. So these are the patients I'm probably whipping out the cefepime and metronidazole or even consider a carbapenem like meropenem or often piperacillin tazobactam. Any patient that has an MRSA risk factor, though, you're going to be adding vancomycin as well. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Driscoll, but this is a patient that also might benefit from IV steroids. Is that right? Yes, and maybe not for the real pathophysiologic reason that we usually give steroids for. What? Why do we give steroids? So dexamethasone is going to accomplish a couple of things for us. Number one, it's classically taught that this is going to help reduce some of the edema in the airway, which might uh, protect us from airway compromise. Makes sense. Uh, but the other thing is that it also helps to increase antibiotic penetration. And we need to get these antibiotics where they need to go. So other things that you can consider are nebulized epinephrine. That'll help protect your airway as well. And then as always, just resuscitate your patient as necessary with supportive measures and pain control. All right. So let's talk about complications now. Complications from Ludwig's angina can actually be pretty devastating. Since there's such a potential for this bacterial infection to spread, you can develop things like necrotizing mediastinitis. You can develop mandibular osteomyelitis. It can even track into the pleural space and you can develop empyema. But other things to consider are things like Lemire syndrome, which is just an internal jugular thrombophlebitis, as well as intracranial extension with like cavernous sinus thrombosis or brain abscesses. So let's just review everything. And how I found Ludwig's angina can be remembered is the three Fs. We love mnemonics. And these aren't the Fs I'm talking about with cholecystitis. These are, these are a little bit different. So the three Fs being Ludwig's angina is often feared often fatal, and rarely fluctuant. That must be what Woody means. Exactly. So in just basics, ABCs were A, airway being the key thing in these patients, as well as early notification of ENT, OMFS, and anesthesia to facilitate definitive airway management. These are almost like, you know, your little pediatric patients that may have epiglottitis. Maybe doing nothing and getting on the phone with your specialist early on is actually the best next step for these patients. And then all of these patients will be admitted to the ICU, so talking to your critical care team expeditiously is helpful. Just to review the priorities for these patients, like Dr. Driscoll said, getting your surgical colleagues on board is super important, but we really are you know, going to be the initial step of getting these patients better. We've got priorities right when they roll in the door. We need to assess their airway and secure it early if necessary, and we need to get antibiotics on board really quickly. That's what's going to help prevent septic shock and multi-system organ failure. So that's really the role that we have to play in this. Well, that does it for this episode of EM Guidewire Core Concepts, coming to you from the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studios at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today. Seems he out. We're live here with you, Jack Fox Action News. I get it, because it's Fox. Get it, huh? <laughs> All right, let's see if I can do this without screwing up the intro. <clears throat> I already screwed it up. That's embarrassing. <laughs> we made it four words. <laughs> do it, do it, do it, do it. Did you say coming from you? Did I say that? I think so. Nailed it. Bum, bum, bum.
which composer wrote Don 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 Don? Okay. I found this on the web for which composer wrote Dan. Check it out. <laughs> That's not quite right. Just a little off. There's no way they're going to put any of this in the recording. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> 